Hey, Life Canton, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministry. So glad that you're giving us a listen today. Uh, today is New Life Sunday. This is a Sunday where we celebrate those who are bringing forward their testimonies and are accepting a new life that they have found in Jesus Christ as they are baptized. Uh, right now, you'll hear a sermon that Pastor Jared gave uh, to help us prepare to celebrate those that life change, that new life. So be sure to give that a listen. If you want to hear the testimonies uh, and the bapto- baptisms themselves, uh, they will be up this week on our Vimeo, so you can go ahead and check those out too. But either way, New Life Sunday shows that, as always, God is on the move in our community. And if you want to participate in what he is up to, if you want to uh, support the ministry that is is bringing people uh, to a new life, a new relationship with Jesus, then you can always do that financially. Um, There's just one way that you can do that. So head over to our Life Church can forward slash give page to uh, participate financially in what God is doing. Um, so give the, the message a listen. I hope it energizes you. Um, I hope you take a chance at some point to watch some of those testimonies and hear some of those testimonies that we received uh, we heard uh, on Sunday. Um, it, it's, it was such, it's such a great time just celebrating new brothers and sisters in Christ. So give that message a listen, and I'll catch up to you in a minute. Amen. Good to worship with you. We are just getting started with the worship. We're going to do more of that toward the end, but you can go ahead and have a seat. I am so glad that you are here. Welcome to Life Canton. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your very first time, because I imagine there are some of you who are here to support friends and family who are getting baptized, we're glad that you're here as well. And as Nathan said earlier, we just hope that you feel at home. Uh, You belong. That We put it on our walls. That's important to us. And we want you to experience that belonging. And I'll say this too. Our hope is that you encounter Jesus. And some of you are like, I don't know about that. I'm not even sure about faith. That's entirely okay. Our home is your home for today. We're glad you're here. I don't want to move too quickly into New Life Sunday, which we're going to do, and we're going to celebrate new life and baptisms because I want to acknowledge uh, something that I think was profound that took place last week as well, and I want you to see that they're not disconnected. Uh, If you weren't here last week or you didn't get to see online last week, uh, we talked about racial justice. We gave our position paper on racial justice in terms of the Imago Dei, the image of God, and how important that is. And the reason it's not disconnected to what we're doing today is because what we talked about last week is all about not just the image of God, but the family of God. And this vision that the Bible gives us for the future, we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, that God gives a vision for a future. And it's people of every tribe, tongue, and nation joining together, worshiping God for who he is. God is forming this beautiful, unified, lovable, and loving multi-ethnic family, drawing us together. And we're not there yet, but we're moving in that direction. And today is all about joining into that family as well, this beautiful, unified, multi-ethnic family. That's what today is about as well. And we're going to experience new life. Yeah, we can clap about that. So I'm glad you're here, and if you are newer to the church and you're newer to this whole concept of baptism and do all churches have horse troughs in the middle of their room, uh, no, but we do. And so that's how you're going to get baptized here today, and some of you actually might decide to get baptized. More on that later. But in my uh, close to 20 years of of full-time ministry now, I've gotten the question repeated to me several times whenever the topic of baptism comes up. 
The question goes something like this. What happens in the water? What is so special about the water? What does the water mean? Why is it so important? And some people have actually asked me this question, like, is it like some sort of like voodoo magic water or something like that that's going on? Is there some sort of like special solution that you put in the water to make it be a certain way? Not necessarily. I will say that there is like little cleaning tablets just for hygienic, you know, water. So I want to make sure we're clear on that. But that's, that's not any spiritual significance. Some people will say, well, is it just for show? You know, to do it in public like this and to have all of the shouting and the screaming and the singing, is that just for show? Is it just for hype? Is that all it is, just to get people riled up? I want you to see, I want you to lean in today and see that there is great significance with what's happening in the water. And not only that, I'll, I'll, I'll expand the question, what's happening before, during, and after the water? And actually, this has been a story that we have participated in that has been going back all the way to the very beginnings of the people of God. This is ancient. This is an ancient thing that we are entering into. And I want you to see that and see these patterns. Now, if you are newer to the Bible and you don't know all of the stories, I'm going to mention a couple stories. That's entirely okay. I want you to see the patterns of what takes place with these stories. So I want to go back all the way to the book of Genesis. And the very beginning of the Bible, we see the story of a man named Noah, and he is this unique individual. He and his family are the only ones that seem to be set apart, that only seem to be the ones that are on the path that God has for them. The rest of the world has gone toward corruption and chaos and greed and violence, but Noah has remained faithful. And God says, I'm going to start over brand new, and we're going to start with you. And we're going to rid the world of its violence and its evil and its corruption. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to send a whole lot of water, a whole lot of rain and water, and to the point where it's going to be a flood. It's going to flood the earth. But Noah, you're going to be saved. You're going to be saved. You're going to be submerged into the water, but you will emerge out the other side with new life, a new promise, a new identity, a new task ahead of you. And that happens. Noah and his family are saved in this ark, and there's animals on the boat, and they get saved through the water. They go through the water, but they emerge out the other side with a new promise, new identity, and a new task. And we fast forward to the book of Exodus, and now we see the people of God that have now begun anew, now are kind of back enslaved and in Egypt and the Egyptians are their oppressors, and now they have this life that is really no life at all. And they are submitted to the harshest conditions, and they need saving, they need salvation, they need liberation. And so God has a plan for newness once again. And he sends this figure named Moses who's going to help them with their journey toward liberation. And so he approaches the oppressor, Pharaoh, and says, let my people go. Let my people go. And there's this struggle, and it takes a while for Pharaoh to ultimately relent. And finally, he does. And so the people are let go, and they're freed to go, and they go on this journey, but then they encounter a major challenge. Water. Water is standing in front of their freedom. It's the Red Sea, or some refer to it as the Reed Sea, is right in front of them. They have nowhere to go. And in fact, the oppressors, the Egyptians, have changed their minds and now are coming back to retake the Hebrew people for their own, once again, to enslave them, once again. But God shows up. 
God shows up in a miraculous way, and through Moses, they're able to go and be submerged into the water and go through the water. The waters are separated for the people of God to walk through and to emerge on the other side, and once again with a new promise, a new identity, and a new task. And then we move forward all throughout the Old Testament, and this becomes, uh, be- becomes a foundational, formational story for the people of God all throughout the Old Testament is being submerged in water, going through water, and being refined in the water, but then leaving behind the chaos and the death and the decay and the destruction of this world and re-emerging into something that is new, a new promise, a new hope, a new identity, and a new task ahead of them. But they don't always get it right. There still needs to be a greater level of salvation of liberation. See, they can't seem to get this right. And so we move into the New Testament, and it's sort of this act two of the play, if you will, and it opens with this scene of a guy named John who has a title, John the Baptist. The Baptist isn't his last name. It's his task. It's his function to remind people, to say, no, you have already been given a new promise a new identity, and a new task, and you're not living into it. Repent, not just say, I'm sorry. Repent means to turn and renew your vision of what God has set before us. And so John starts baptizing people in the Jordan River, which is a foundational body of water for these people of God and has been for centuries. And you and I might think, oh man, this is like some sacred, holy, reverent place. I've been there. It's like a muddy creek that looks like your backyard after it rains in Canton. It's nothing to look at. It's nothing special. There's nothing special about the water. It's what the water represents. And John the Baptist is taking these people through this memory of what so many who have gone before them are now entering into. Be reminded, remember, you have a new promise, a new identity, and a new task. But John knows that something more is coming. See, because he's the cousin of the one who's ultimately going to bring the greatest liberation, the greatest salvation, Jesus comes on the scene. And here's the thing. Oftentimes we think about baptism as repenting of our sin and living into this new identity. Jesus goes to John and says, John, you're going to baptize me. Not because Jesus had sin that he needed to get rid of. No, he's the son of God, but he is now joining in, participating in the same story that his people have been doing for centuries. He is going to be submerged into the water and emerge in his new task. Jesus gets baptized before he even begins his ministry. Before he does anything, the Father emerges from heaven and says, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. Establishing his identity before he's done anything. See, so many of us think our identity is all about what we do. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. He is pleased with us. He has given us an identity, and Jesus is inaugurating this in the waters of, of baptism, and then he begins this ministry and launches this incredible ministry of healing and restoration and liberation everywhere he goes. And this begins to take shape and take form, and it's getting excited, and then, and then he dies. 
See, death isn't the end of the story. It never is. It's not the end of your story either. Because Jesus is the resurrected King. And He's resurrecting me and you as well. And He launches this new body, this new group of people called the church. They refer to themselves as the way. And they start this thing, they start this movement, and it just grows like rapid fire. And people are getting baptized left and right. And they are emerging out of the waters of baptism with a new promise, a new identity in Jesus, and a new task. There's one problem. Not everybody's on board. Not everybody is on board. Not everybody believes that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God, that he was, in fact, this resurrected king. And in fact, many of the Jewish people who had this rich, long history of being submerged into the water and emerging into a new hope, a new promise, a new identity, a new task, not everybody's on board with that. There's one, in fact, named Saul. One guy named Saul who who doesn't agree with what this church is doing, doesn't agree with all of these baptisms. He certainly doesn't agree that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the ultimate Messiah, the one who would liberate them from their sin, from their death, from their decay. He's not on board with that. In fact, not only is he not on board, he's willing to put this thing to an end. He wants to quell this movement, this resistance. In fact, so much so that he's willing to persecute the church. He's eager, it says in the text. He is eager to kill followers of Jesus. And in fact, on one of the journeys that he goes on, he is willing to go and round up some people, some followers of Jesus, bring them back to Jerusalem, have them tried, and put them to death. He is absolutely anti-gospel, anti-Christ, until he meets Jesus. He encounters Jesus in a whole new way. He's on his way to a city called Damascus, and he is literally thrown off his horse, and he is blinded by the radiance of the resurrected Jesus. He cannot even see. And Jesus calls him out. He says, stop persecuting me. Stop persecuting my movement. Stop getting in the way of what I am doing. You will fail. Saul recognizes who Jesus really is in this moment. And I mentioned this before. Sometimes it gets harder before it gets better. Saul is blinded. He's literally blinded. He has been spending his entire life putting this thing, putting this movement down, trying to bring an end to the movement of Jesus and his followers. And now he has completely changed his mind. Completely. In one moment, I want you to see what happens and see this as sort of a a model of what takes place before, during, and after the waters of baptism, which you all are entering into as well. If you have a Bible, uh, you can join me in Acts chapter 9, verses 17 to 20. And if you don't have a Bible, that's entirely okay. We'll have the words on the screens and you can follow along with that. Acts 9, 17 to 20. What's happening is this man, Ananias, is supposed to meet with Saul. Ananias is probably fearing for his life. He knows about Saul. He knows what Saul has come to do. But Ananias has been told by God to say, hey, it's okay. I've got something new for him. 
Check out what happens. Verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. This is a well-known, notorious murderer of followers of Jesus. In just four short verses, his life is completely turned around. What happened before, during, and after the waters of baptism? I want you to see these, and many of these are already the words in the text, and some of them I, I fudged a little bit, but if you have a pen you want to write in your Bible, you can do this, underline these words. I'm going to talk about them. Spirit, we're going to talk about the Spirit, we're going to talk about scales and sight, we're going to talk about his baptism or submerging, and then we're going to talk about strength and surroundings, and then lastly, we're going to talk about speaking, the way that he speaks. This is a model of what takes place before, during, and after the waters of baptism. First of all, Ananias prays over him to receive, to be filled by the Holy Spirit. None of this is possible without the presence of the Holy Spirit. You guys didn't make this decision just on a whim, just on your own, just to decide to do something fun. No, it's not fun. It's not like 100 degrees water right now. Like It's not like amazing to get in there. There's no jets. Like there's no, I mean... There's nothing fun about getting drenched in water and then singing some songs while you're cold. No. Something else is happening. The Spirit of God is moving. The Spirit of God is what inaugurates anything that happens in our life with Jesus. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospel according to John, it's going to be the Holy Spirit that leads you into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of its sin, which is just a big fancy churchy word for death and decay and destruction and chaos that we experience day in and day out in this world. The Spirit gives us eyes to see the world the way it really is. Spirit has to move. Otherwise, we're not here today doing what we're doing. This is all as a result of the move of the Holy Spirit. That's where it starts. This is before the waters of baptism. But then also, we get the scales and the sight. What's that about? Well, Paul was blinded. And then after he's, after he's filled with the Holy Spirit, scales, something like scales, fall from his eyes and he regains his sight. Yes, he was literally blinded and he regains his literal sight, but I wonder how much of us have scales that are blinding us as well. Scales that we've been given since birth. Scales that say and convince us you are just a consumer. You are just what you can purchase. You are just what you do, right? Our identity is what we do, not who you actually are, who you were meant to be. No, it's just what can you do for me? What can you consume? Those are scales that have blinded us, thinking that this world is all there is. There's nothing more than just this. Those scales blind us to seeing that there is more that God is doing in our world and in our midst and in ourselves. 
So we need to regain our sight. We need new vision. Saul gets his sight restored to him so he can see differently. He can see that the way he's understood Jesus and this movement of the church, the way he's seen it is wrong. He needs to regain his literal sight, but also his spiritual sight to see that God is on the move. God is bringing about restoration and healing. God is going to bring about a new promise, a new identity, and a new task. And as he regains his sight, he is submerged into the waters of baptism and doing what all of those that have gone before him have done. He goes down into the water to signify putting to death all of the death and decay and destruction and the violence of his life and re-emerging with what? Newness. A new promise. A new identity. A new task. What happens when something new takes place in your life? Maybe something that you weren't expecting to take place. Newness is good, but it's hard. Sometimes it gets harder before it gets better. Sometimes new things mean change. We don't like change because that means it's a move away from the familiar. It's a move away from what we always knew. We like to go back to what's familiar, but newness brings change in a new direction, and it's unknown, and it's unfamiliar, and it's scary, and it makes us tired and vulnerable and weak. We don't like change. We don't always like newness. It's hard. But when we're weak, God brings strength. He renews our strength in our surroundings. This is a verse that many of us could just bypass. He gets up and he eats food to regain his strength. Most of us are like, that's not really all that spiritual. Let's just move on to like the, the cool stuff in the Bible. Let's move on to the miracles and the wonders and all of those kinds of things. No, this is an important piece. His strength is regained by eating. The breaking of bread that you and I do together with new surroundings, with other believers, is so incredibly important. There is so much more happening by regaining our strength through the breaking of bread with other people because it's in that hospitality that breaks down the walls of hostility. Let me say that again. Our hospitality breaks down the walls of hostility. There is so much hostility surrounding Saul. He's like the mob boss of Jerusalem going out and killing one by one, 10 by 10, 20 by 20, all of these followers of Jesus and putting them down. Hostile. You and I, we live in a hostile world. Divisions, political divisions, racial unrest, all kinds of things that are on the surface brightly shining at us saying, we're different. We don't belong. We're not alike. We're hostile. But when we sit and break bread together, breaks down the walls of hostility. I look into your eyes as we eat, as I get food all up in my beard. We share each other's stories and vulnerability. We get to know one another. We get to see you're just like me. You have the same fears as I do. You have the same hopes and dreams as I do. You want to experience love and belonging and acceptance. There is strength in the meal 
and in his surroundings. That second part of verse 19, Saul surrounds himself with other believers. People who were once his enemies are now the ones who are going to be there to support him. They're the only ones that are going to understand what he's about to go through. What happens before, during, after baptism is so incredibly important that we understand the importance of our surroundings, that what you're doing in the waters of baptism is not for you. It is, but it's for others. It's also for others. And then what we do with our surroundings after this matters. We don't enter into this on our own, thinking that it's all about us. In fact, if we still think that my individual faith is just for my individual edification, then I still have scales on my eyes thinking that it's all about me. When in reality, what God has been doing for the people of God all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament is this collective, multi-ethnic, unified family that we are part of. Your surroundings matter because the new task that he has given you, that he has given Saul, is to go out and to change the way that you speak. What does Saul do? He speaks differently. Before this, he is literally murdering Christians. Now, he is going out and he is speaking, saying, Jesus is indeed the Son of God. All of that changes from an encounter with Jesus. Here's the thing. What's happening in the water? It's happening before, during, and after. It can all be summed up with one more word. Salvation. Salvation. You are being saved, renewed, restored. And it's a salvation that isn't just about an afterlife event, not just a salvation that says, I'm going to go to heaven when I die someday. No, it's more complicated than that. It's more beautiful than that. It's richer than that. It's heaven coming to earth and restoring all creation and us living into that new reality. It's not going off into some place when we die. Salvation comes to us. But it's not just that. It's not just about an afterlife event. Salvation is also saving us from the hell that is today, that is this reality, that this is all there is. And that's just the way it is. It is what it is. And so we should just accept our consumerism. We should just accept this greed and lust for self-preservation. And we should just accept the racial injustice. We should just accept all of the teen suicide. It's just the way it is. No, 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 no. No, those are all just evidences of death and decay, but salvation says that death is not the end of our story, and in fact, death is actually dying to self, and that's the front door into a new life, a new life of eternity that starts today. It starts right now. Salvation isn't just from something, but salvation for something. You are reclaimed. You have an identity in Jesus And now that means you have a new task, a new promise, a new journey set before you. And Saul, who we know as Paul, who writes most of the rest of the New Testament, goes on to say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not a, I should be afraid, I'm scared. No, a fear and trembling that has a sense of awe and reverence. There is a holiness to my purpose, to my task. 
I have a new future. My eyes are open. We just sang about that. Because when you called my name, I ran out of that grave. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. That's what salvation is all about. And that's what's happening before, during, and after the water. Are you ready to get into this water? I know they are. Are you potentially ready to get into this water as well? See, some of you, this is a whole new perspective that you've never understood before. Some of you are experiencing a sort of salvation, even as I'm speaking right now. It's because God's Spirit is moving in your heart. You might need to get baptized today. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. We are ready for you. We've already prepared. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to reclaim your identity in Jesus and to emerge out of the waters of baptism with a new promise, a new identity, a new task, today's the day. The Spirit is moving. We are here. We are your family. You belong I want you to encounter Jesus today. If that's you, would you pray with me? God, I step out in faith right now. I'm not sure I fully understood what all just took place. I don't even know a single verse in the Bible. I'm not even sure I know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but I feel like you're doing something in me. feel like I want to submit my life to you. I feel like I've been chasing after every other temporary thing and it doesn't give me any kind of fulfillment. I feel alone. I feel depressed. I feel anxious. Sometimes I feel like there's no purpose to me even being here. I want to experience new life. I need you, Jesus. If you just prayed something like that prayer, I'm so excited for you. I'm so happy that God is moving in your life. We are excited that you are part of a family that goes beyond just these walls, that goes beyond just this church. You're part of a beautiful, unified, multi-ethnic family where there is joy and there is hope and there is peace. If you prayed something like that, would you please let us know? on your Connect card. It's on your chair or a chair near you. Uh, What a good message. Uh, I mean, Pastor Jared shared one of the most powerful testimonies of new life in a disciple that we have in the New Testament, which is Paul, who, who, or rather Saul, who became Paul. Um, Just his conversion story is so powerful and such a model for us of what it looks like to live a new life in our relationship with Christ. Uh, So I, I hope that you were in you know, encouraged and energized by that story. I hope this week, uh, if you are a new believer in Christ that <laughs> who maybe even just got baptized, that you uh, you begin to experience and live into that new life. And and if you're a uh, you know a long time believer, I hope you're reminded of the joy and the celebration that comes with all of that. Um, and and if you're not, that's okay. I hope 
I hope you heard what life can look like with Jesus. Um, whoever you are, if you need prayer or support, be sure to reach out to us. Uh, via, you can reach out directly to one of our uh, staff uh, or even some uh, someone in our community for prayer and support. Um, or you can fill out a Connect card to let us know, um, not only prayer, but uh, if you want to be involved in life groups or, or anything uh, like that. Be sure to fill that out for us uh, and get connected. But either way, have a blessed week, and we'll see you again real soon. Bye.